What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We got Jays Jumpers, Jaron Jackson Jr., John Rance, Joe Johnson's John Raps, of course. We got Jays. We got him for days. Josh, how you doing? Well, this is the last time we're going to say it, but it's worth saying it again. Somehow, some way, the program that tried to cooperate with the NCA and had a coach who was not at said program while the violations took place working with the NCA ended up getting the short end of the stick in all of this FBI investigation stuff as Kansas now also with their five level one violations that just disappeared have basically gotten away with nothing too. It's embarrassing. It's it's embarrassing. Like like I don't understand. Like I don't understand what the point of the I was it I R P R I A I A R A A A R P A exclamation point underscore. Like what's the point if we're not going to punish programs when there's evidence that they did things wrong? I don't I don't understand. It's it's an insult to everybody's intelligence. It really is. Yeah, and there's just a common sense aspect of it that the way this all played out, it just doesn't line up with what the schools are being accused of, right? And this is more about arbitration than it is saying these things didn't actually happen. At least that's my feeling when talking about IARP. Yeah, it just, it fails the out loud test to use one of your favorite phrases. As does literally everything else in college <laughs> athletics at this point. It, it, yeah, it's it's unsurprising. Continues to be discouraging, and I don't get the I don't I don't understand what the point is if it's if there's no because in in theory the the whole point of the IRP is to add is to take away some of the arbitration right mm-hmm. that's the whole point speed up the process and to speed up the process we don't we don't speed up the process no. <laughs> We don't do that at all. And there's no rhyme or reason case to case. Right? That's like the whole point of a of a jury system is to set precedent and to follow it, right? Yeah. That's the whole point. Like that's why it's so important when a, the Supreme Court votes on something because it sets a precedent, right? Mm-hmm. And then it's kind of the foundation of how that is how that is looked at for till the end of time, right? And and that is if if this if this governing body if this independent contractor whatever you want to call it if 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 we're not if we're not establishing some sort of foundation through which we look at and maybe the foundation we're setting is that they just don't care that's what I was going to say I, maybe you could argue that there is a precedent and that is that we just don't punish people severely which then again I would ask what's the point of the whole right. thing right right yeah not surprising but- but wanted to at least acknowledge it. Kevin Sweeney's on this podcast. We're yeah, going to talk is. about the Big Ten. That's a much more entertaining topic to uh, to discuss and will be the bulk of this podcast. Kevin is all over the place, Sports Illustrated, talking college hoops. He's been around for, for a long time in the college basketball world, and we appreciate him hopping on the pod for a second straight year. Without any further ado, let's go talk to Kevin. Joining us now from all over the place, from Sports Illustrated, a uh, 
a very uh, important member of the college basketball community at CBB underscore central on Twitter. He is Kevin Sweeney. Kevin, thanks so much for taking the time to come and chat with us for the second year in a row. Quite the introduction. I appreciate you guys having me as always. <laughs> Um, Big Ten, the the topic of conversation uh, on today's pod, and of of course, Kevin, there's there's not too far we can go into this conference without talking about the elephant in the room, which is also the team that has the elephant sized player in the room, and that's the Purdue Boilermakers. Um, the last time we saw this team that had the National Player of the Year that had a number one seed. They were losing to a 16 seed, which is not something that um, that we see very often. Um, how much how much do you put that that Purdue's lost FDU kind of into your thought process about how you're thinking about Purdue this season? Do you care at all? Is it just kind of this cloud that's hanging over the team until the season starts? Um, how are you feeling about Purdue? Uh, right now on October 6th. Yeah, I, I think what's hard is that there's almost nothing they can do during the year that will change people's minds, right? Like you either believe that this is a, I don't know if aberration is the right word, but it's the variance of a one game elimination tournament, or you believe that Purdue is fatally flawed. And I don't think they've done anything really in the off season to fundamentally change who they are. I don't think they want to. I talked to Matt Painter um, about a month ago and talked to Braden Smith and, and Zach, and it it doesn't they, – they feel doubled down in terms of what they do. And and Painter basically said to me, like, hey, like, well, we're not we, – we can't be overreactive to, to one game or a few games. Yes, we have problems. It's on me. Right, we've had this March issue. It hasn't been just FDU. It's not just St. Peter's. It's not just North Texas. It's a habit now. We have to fix it. But at the same time, the way we fix it is by being better at the stuff we're already good at. Right? We're we're a really good rebounding team. Let's be even better. Right? And I think that's why you'll see more Trey Kaufman run at the four this year. And I think he has a chance to be really good. Um, you know, we we have good shooting. Well, we need our guards to be able to go make plays, right? And, and take care of the take care of the basketball a little bit better. Um, so that's, you know, put the ball in Braden Smith's hands more and trust him more. Um, Zach Eady is the best player in the country. Like, we're not getting away from what we want to do. And I, I think that's a refreshing philosophy. But it also means that, like, the same questions are going to be there, right? I mean, Purdue was was dominant last year most of the way. Yes, they had some kind of shows of weakness down the stretch and maybe we can avoid those this year. But, you know, I, I, I really believe that it, like if, if you're, if you're in, you're in, if you're not, you're not. And it's going to take until, you know, April 8th to determine whether anyone feels differently about Purdue. That is, that's exactly how I described this when we were doing our, our big 10 preview, just Josh and I is they can be, they could be entering the tournament undefeated and there would still be people who don't especially care that they're undefeated because of what happened in the tournament is where do you kind of fall on that? Like, is there a ceiling for how you'll feel about Purdue this year as a result? Um, is Can you just only get to a certain spot? Um, with how confident you are in that team, is there anything that could they can do to kind of break that ceiling, or is there kind of just will it always be in the back of your mind? I think it has to be in the back of your mind. Um, 
look, I, I guess I pose the question to you guys. If, if Purdue had lost to FAU in the second round instead of uh, Fairleigh Dickinson in the FAU, first. Yeah. yeah, there, there we go. Um, if, if, they, if they lose to a nine seed in round two instead of a 16 seed in round one, and they bring back five starters from a team that won the Big Ten by three games, and they bring back the National Player of the Year. Is there any question in anyone's minds this is the preseason number one team in the country? Like, the fact that it's even a debate is because of the thing in the back of your mind. This is FDU, FDU, right? Like, like they've had this true all-systems failure happen. So I guess that means we can't get over it, right? Because if, if we could, I'd already be there, right? And I have them third nationally. Every every time I look at it, I say to myself, I really should have the number one. Every like piece of logic says this is the best team in the country in the preseason. But I, I guess we, we we dock them two spots as punishment for 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 FDU, and we basically that that's the prove it zone, right? That like the the floor is incredibly high, right? Like I think we'd all be stunned if Purdue isn't like a top two seed. Like like I don't know that we really remember teams that have such a high floor without injury, right? Obviously, if Edie went down or something crazy like that happened. You know, change the conversation, but you know, I, I don't, I don't necessarily see a world where they don't look awesome. It's just a matter of how awesome. And I think a big part of that that you alluded to earlier is the fact that this has happened before to Purdue, not to the same extent of sixteen versus one, obviously. But you've seen the North Texas loss. They have had some disappointing showings in the tournament, as well as some good ones. Where, I mean, they very well may have been seconds away from a national championship with Carson Edwards. You could also say Carson Edwards is an exception that he was just so good during that tournament. There's nothing you could do about it, but I I just don't put stock into NCAA tournament results for the most part. But I think the flip side of that is you also have to take into consideration that it is just a different set of skills that you need to be able to survive the chaos of six single elimination games and so when you don't put stock into it for the regular season, it's then fair to wonder, do, does a team that's built the way Purdue is have what is needed to win in the tournament? So I always just separate the two yeah. to answer your question. I, Yeah, I, you can be so, the best team in the country. It doesn't mean you're the national championship favorite to me. So so let me let me give you like a half-baked take that's been like rattling around my brain and has not actually been shared on any other platform yet. So maybe this this is this is an exclusive yeah. for you guys. Um and I think it's a good way to kind of get into the lash of the Big Ten. So everyone thinks of the Big Ten as like, oh, it's all big men, the guard play's not great, you know, it's physicality, it's toughness, it's winning the half court, and that's why teams aren't winning in March. Like, look around the Big Ten this year outside of Zach Eady and name the, like, traditional center that's, like, a traditional, like, a, like like the Big the big Ten center of all, right? Other than Cliff O'Mori, I don't know that, that there's that. That was going to be my guy, answer. Right? Like, yeah. Khalil Ware is really talented, but he's, you know, very much the modern big man who can run the floor and shoot it. And, you know, like, if, if he lives up to the hype, it's because of his skill set, not because of raw physicality. Um, Right, like, like I'm just looking at my depth charts right now. The centers I have projected in the Big Ten: Coleman Hawkins, Khalil Ware, Ben Cricky at Iowa, Terrace Reed, uh, Rink Mast at Nebraska, Zed Key. Like, it's it, the Big Ten is not a great big man's league this year. On the other hand, the guards are as good as it's been in a long time. Right, you have Jameer Young, Boo Booey, like proven awesome point guards, 
Ace Baldwin at Penn State's a really good point guard. Bruce Thornton at Ohio State, I think, is really good. Hogard and Tyson Walker at, at Michigan State, right? Even like Wisconsin with with like adding AJ Store and bringing back Chucky, Asijin, and Klesmet. Like, I just I think the guard I don't, Xavier Johnson as well. Like, I think the guards are a lot better. So maybe this year's Big Ten is a better proving ground for Purdue than it has been in years past. And maybe it will produce a little bit better March results because you look around and you say, well, well when's the March guard play? That's, that's, the, that's the common refrain. Well, I think the Big Ten has guard play this year for the first time in a really long time. The arc of that backcourt last year was so intriguing, right? We kind of went from early in the season, it was, oh my gosh, look at what Matt Painter is doing with this true freshman backcourt. Right. It, you know, I can't believe that he's turning this, you know, and it was a, a, a good backcourt in terms of recruiting, but it wasn't a, a great one. I mean, Fletcher Lawyer, spectacular Braden Smith, both of those guys, you know, Indiana, Mr. Basketball finalist. And I think it was Braden who was a Mr. Ba- who won Mr. Basketball his senior year in high school. But it was like, man, I can't believe that they they're so under control they're so collected and it kind of slowly moved in the opposite direction and as we got into big 10 play and as we got into you know tournaments and then of course what happened in the tournament happened um what what do you think is fair to expect from those two guys in particular in this season and what kind of is that the number one thing in terms of making purdue maybe less vulnerable to what happened in the tournament last, last year, or is it, or is it something else? Yeah. So, so I had asked Painter that particularly in the, the context of Braden Smith um, and Painter has said really since the beginning, I mean, I remember at PK 85 last year, he was saying like, I want Braden to be more score first. He's good as a pass first point guard. He's great as a score first point guard who can pass. And you never really saw that side of his game. And I asked Painter, I was like, where does that stand? He said, yeah, that's what we need. Like, he doesn't have to be Carson Edwards, but he has to be a guy that can go make a shot in a big game and that we can trust with the ball in his hands. And I think he's on his way to doing that. You know, I think Braden Smith took a lot of heat last year that wasn't necessarily deserved. Like, yes, he turned the ball over too much against Fairleigh Dickinson. He was not the only reason they lost. Yes, he turned the ball over at the end of the game against Northwestern. But he also started a point guard on a top five team in the country and averaged 2.2 assists to turnover ratio like that's awesome um if you look at at at, at the numbers here and i'll i'll pull these up because i just was interacting the other day about this exact debate right two two freshman guards from last year uh player a is 9.7 points per game two uh, 4.2 rebounds 4.4 assists shot 43 percent from the field uh 44% Forty-four percent from the field, thirty-eight from three, and eighty-seven from the line. Player B is nine point four points per game, three point one rebounds, three point three assists on thirty-eight, thirty-two, eighty-seven. Player A is Braden Smith. Player B is Tyrese Proctor. Tyrese Proctor is a consensus <laughs> top ten player in the sport, according to all the experts. Braden Smith's not even top one hundred. Like, like. And, and yes, I think Tyrese Proctor is certainly more talented. Like, there's more more pro upside. I get that. But I feel like Braden Smith has just gotten like railroaded all offseason for no reason. Like Braden Smith 
is on track to having like a all-time Big Ten basketball career if he like keeps at this rate. And I think people talk about him like he's like some massive question mark. Like, yes, he has to play well in March. It's critical. He's the point guard of a top five team. But I think I got I think it's just gotten so out of hand because everyone's looking for a label for like the non-ED problem. Like who's the issue? And Brighton's the guy with the ball in his hand. And to me, it's it's so unfair. I think the only argument against that is if you just look at the trajectories of their two seasons, the fact that Proctor reclassified you could make this case that Proctor is on a higher upward trajectory just because Braden Smith started so well, which is also a compliment to Braden Smith. But that is a that is a very interesting and, and valid point. Well, that, I, I agree with you, and I wouldn't say that Braden Smith's a top ten player in the country. I'm not sure. Right. I, I, I would I, have, I would have no issue with Proctor over Smith. I have the issue being that yes. like they're in like three different tiers. They're like three right. tiers apart. Like to me, that's crazy. You're absolutely right. Yeah, the narrative surrounding them is completely different. Yeah. Is there one final kind of Purdue question before we get to the rest of the conference? It does seem like Matt Painter is taking the approach of, similar to Tony Bennett, we're going to own this. We're going to own the fact that we have not delivered in March. We're not going to change our identity, but also we need to do some things differently to try and enhance our success specifically in March. I feel like he is leading into this idea that it takes something a little bit different. Have you gotten that sense talking to him that whether that's, I know part of that is experimenting with Trey Kaufman Ren, it sounds like maybe as you alluded to changing Braden Smith's thought process a little bit to make him more aggressive with the ball in his hands. Do you feel like we're going to not change who Purdue is because it's going to run through Zach Eady because why in the world wouldn't it? But do you think that there is going to be at least a, a tweak to try and really focus on having a different team by the time you get to the NTA tournament. Yeah, I think like you point to three main things, right? And you mentioned two of them: Kaufman, Rand, and then Braden. I think the third element would be Miles Colvin. They don't really know yet what they're going to get from him, but they're excited about the possibilities, and that on paper he really fulfills some of the the holes, right? Like athletically. Uh, length-wise, the ability to catch, make catch-and-shoot threes is something that they needed last year. Just didn't make at times. Like, like they were, like they were literally unstoppable when open catch-and-shoot shots went in last year. And I, as much as anything, I think Banner's just hoping that like the guys they recruited who were good shooters, who were good shooters in previous seasons, go back to doing that. Because if they do that, like they're going to be a really tough out, like like h- horribly hard to beat because. You know, this this team was one of the worst three point shooting teams in the country down the stretch last year. And like you look around, like they're they're not bad shooters. Like there's no non shooters out there other than Zach. Like like they should have been better. So I, I don't know that like we'll see some like very clear different identity like play to play. Um I think maybe we will later, right? Like, you know, I this is probably um not necessarily the fairest comparison, but I think Painter came into twenty twenty one, twenty two. And felt like, yes, I have Travion Williams a senior. I'm kind of stuck with him though because I really kind of prefer Zach, and I don't know how to get away from it, right? And I don't know that he wants to get away from Zach or even get away from having elite big men. But I do think that if Zach, like, like I do think that when Zach graduates. Purdue won't play the same as they've played for the last 10 years. Like, I think a bigger shift is coming. And part of that's recruiting and, like, like 
if they have Cannon Catchings and Miles Colvin, like that's a wildly different looking roster than Purdue has had in a long time. That's length, that's athleticism, that's NBA talent. Um, so I, I think that's kind of where it's heading is like, how do we become more guard oriented? How do we become more athletic? But I think for this year, I think the hope is just we have the best player in the sport, a guy who, quite frankly, could go down as a top five to 10 player in the history of the sport if he wins National Player of the Year again. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to lean into that and we're going to embrace the fact that we have the guys around them that we believe can win us a championship and hope that the chips fall right in March. I spent most of last college basketball season working at a radio station in Indianapolis and spent a lot of time cutting Matt Painter audio. Um, And it just, I I say it to say that he talked about that a lot, the shooting thing, especially it's like, we just need our, our good shooters to, to make shots. And rather than it being a question of, we don't have any shooters on this team. We just need the guys that that we brought here to make shots and that we have seen make shots on other college basketball teams. And in in a Purdue uniform in the past, we just need them to make shots again. Like we have the the nucleus. We have the guy that you're not going to be able to stop. It's just those little things that make us, like you said, if 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 open shots were going down from guys not named Zach Eady, they were they were very, very, very difficult to stop. Um, the other team that kind of jumps off the page uh, from the Big Ten this year is is one Michigan State in East Lansing, a team that brings back a lot from last year. We've mentioned you know a handful of them, whether it's Tyson Walker, AJ Hogard in that backcourt, Jade Nakins, Malik Hall, and then there's a a slew of of attractive freshmen, you know, namely Xavier Booker being kind of the headline act of that group. It's, and we talked to to Brandon Marks about the ACC yesterday, and it's kind of a, a roster that has the same sexy feel that like a Duke team does. That's bringing back a ton of production and then has the recruits that are jumping off the page at the same time. What um, are you, are you excited about what could happen in, uh, in East Lansing this year? How much are you buying in? Because on the other side of the of the equation is this was a this was a twenty one and thirteen team last year that finished with eleven wins in the Big Ten, and basically everybody finished with something between nine and eleven wins in the Big Ten. And if if their freshman production is not substantial, then it's a team that looks really really similar to the one that Izzo put on the floor last year. So Michigan State, what do you think about them right now? I mean, I think first off, like when you like take the national like view of it, once you get past Duke, Kansas, and Purdue, who I think is everyone's kind of consensus top three in some order, you run quickly out of teams that feel like sure things, right? Mm. And so the team that runs it back and has Tom Izzo and has a top five recruiting class, it becomes pretty easy to just like, yeah, like we're going to sprinkle them in between like four and seven, right? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're like, like. We're human. Like, I, I think the floor is a little lower with them than the top three teams in the country, but we also have seen that the floor is pretty high and that, like, again, like, they're not going to be worse than they were last year. And last year, they're like a six seed and fringe top 25 team and go to the second weekend in the NCAA tournament. They were a seven, but, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, like, 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 Michigan State's floor this year is probably like a five or a six seed nationally. That would be a pretty disappointing season, I think, because I think the hope is that the continuity really is, is impactful with them. And 
that's something that Izzo's been working towards, right? I think you, were, you know, we all remember two years ago when he came in like scorched earth at media day about the portal and, oh, I'm good. Or it was last year, actually. God, time, time, time flies. Like, oh, I don't need the portal. I don't need this. Like, Mati Sissoko is my starting center and who cares? Like, and it worked enough, right? Like, like I think it's like a, it's an interesting conversation, right? Because every, I think the narrative is, yeah, like, Izzo proved everybody wrong. Like, he, you know, he got a seven seed, he went to Sweet 16, blah, blah, Like, on the other hand, they lost games because they weren't deep enough. Right, they and and maybe 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 the like aggregate chemistry bump or whatever we're discussing here like makes up for that. I don't know. Like I'm not in the locker room every day, but it would have helped Michigan State to have a proven backup center last year. Would have helped Michigan State to have one more guard they could trust, right? And I think the idea here is like, all right, now now we've got these freshmen. You know, Fears is awesome. Cohen Carr is awesome. Booker is super talented. I think it's going to take him some time, but he's you know gives him gives him upside certainly. The idea is like, all right, now we have the athleticism, we have the depth, we have the talent level we need to be an elite team, and we've got all this experience in the starting lineup. And that's a pretty potent combination. I think the one thing I point to with Michigan State, like the the bellwether of sorts of like, is this team getting there? Is the elite Tom Izzo teams have always been elite at defending the rim. I tweeted this the other day. Um, like you look like 2016 to 2020 when they were top 10 in Ken Palm every year. They were top 10 in two-point defense every year or maybe missed one year. Like, ever, like they, that thing was very consistently, like, you, you just could not score on them as a basket. The last three years, they've lost 13 games each of the past three years. Um, they've been over a 100th in two-point defense each year. Enter Xavier Booker. Maybe that changes the conversation a little bit because he is athletic. He can move his feet. He can protect the rim a little bit. Now, do I trust Xavier Booker to single-handedly make this a top 10 rim defense? No. And I also think that there are some issues, like they're smaller in the backcourt. That makes it harder to defend guards, can keep them contained, keep them from getting to the rim, things like that. But this team has to be like a top 50 two-point defense, in my opinion, if we're going to talk about them as an elite team in the country. Before we move on to everybody else, how do you kind of view these two teams in conversation with each other and in the national title conversation? Do you feel like these two teams could very well both be there when we get to a Final Four and the Big Ten is in a good position to finally end this drought? Or do you feel like Purdue is the singular hope and it's kind of Boilmakers are bust in terms of the Big Ten finally really cementing itself back on the national stage and not just having a team get to a Final Four, but a team get to a national championship game and feeling like Purdue is, for example, the best team in the country from start to finish kind of thing. Yeah, I think Purdue is clearly better than Michigan State on paper. Like, I think there's only going to wind up being two or three spots nationally different in my rankings. But like, if you're power rating it, right, like if I was a sports book, like I'd play them on a neutral court, I think Purdue's like a five point game in my mind, right? Like, I, I think it's pretty clear. Now, that being said, who's better set up to win in March? That's a question I would entertain, right? Like, I still think it's producing they're better. But you couldn't really script a more steady March story than having three veteran, extremely talented guards, an elite coach, and McDonald's, McDonald's All-American level talent. Right. And that's what Michigan State has. They have Tyson Walker, AJ Hogarth, and Jay Nakins. They have a top five recruiting class. And they have one of the best coaches who's ever done it in college basketball. Like, check, check, check. That's that's March. That's the NCAA tournament for you. So 
I I, th- I feel good that this the league has a good March, and particularly with its top two. I think there's a good chance to get one or two teams into the final four. So moving on to the rest of the conference, I want to start with this question. Which team slash coaches do you feel like have the most riding on this season? Because I feel like, and we talked about this in our preview, there's a very interesting list of things going on here. From Painter getting one more go with Zach Eady, Izzo, will he ever have a team with this combination of talent and experience? We talked about them. Indiana going in the right direction, but also lose Trace Jackson Davis. and that is a massive, massive deal. Kevin Willard, great first year. Can you continue to build on that? Juwan Howard at Michigan, Chris Holtman at Ohio State. You can go on and on about just all of the programs and interesting spots in this conference. Is Who do you feel like is kind of at the top of the, the pressure cooker, if you will, that needs to have a good season here? Yeah, so I'm not going to do like the hot seat angle to this where you'd say, oh, Ben Johnson, maybe Juwan, maybe Holtman. I think there's two guys who have really interesting trajectory-defining seasons, and that's Brad Underwood at Illinois and Greg Gard at Wisconsin, right? Mm-hmm. So so Underwood wins two Big Ten titles. Everybody's happy. Last year, the March success isn't quite there. Okay, we're a little anxious, but we're okay. We're rolling and recruiting. We get Matt Meyer. We're good, right? Then last year happens, and... I don't think Brad handled it the best. Like I, I think he realized very early he didn't have the type of guys he wanted. And I think it just was it was just a slog the rest of the way. And there was a lot of discontent in that locker room. Um, it just wasn't very fun to be around that Illinois basketball team last year. And I, I think they really think they've got it fixed. But it's the last year of Terrence Shannon. It's the last year of Coleman Hawkins. I know people have mixed opinions of Coleman Hawkins, but you know, two really big time players are going to graduate after this year. So last year, Gary A and Domask, your two big transfers. Like Illinois goes out this year, they compete for a Big Ten championship, they win multiple NCAA tournament games. Things are great, right? Brad Underwood reestablished himself as one of the best coaches in the league. Brad Underwood keeps rolling, like, like boom, done. Have another nine seed type of year. Don't do anything. Don't move the needle. I don't think it's hot seat, but it certainly feels like we've reached the ceiling, right? Like this is who we are as a program right now under Brad Underwood. And that's when hot seat stuff starts getting discussed is when you feel like you haven't, you know, hit where you need to get to. And then Wisconsin, kind of the same thing, right? Guard wins big 10 title. Everybody's happy. Last year, I think it was obvious. They didn't have the talent level uh, in the preseason. A lot of people ignored that because it was a, oh, you know, we got to trust Wisconsin. You know, they, they figure it out. They always do. And it came back to bite them. You know, you have any injuries. Like the margin of error was so slim with Wisconsin last year because they just did not have the dudes. And this year, theoretically, they have more talent, right? Store should help them there. The freshmen, I think, could help them there with Blackwell, uh, Blackwell, Yeldon, and Nolan Winter, right? Like they need to show that they're getting it right on a talent on a talent basis and get back into the top twenty-five contention, right? Like it, like. It was striking to me. I watched all 40 minutes of both Northwestern Wisconsin games last year. Northwestern was just like clearly more talented. And, you know, you can say what you will, like, oh, what a great year by Chris Collins. Like, da, da, da. like the, you, you can you can angle it however way you want to spin it. But Northwestern should never be more talented than Wisconsin, right? Wisconsin yeah. should be able to recruit at a higher level. 
Wisconsin has shown in football that they're willing to expand their horizons a little bit, go get Luke Fickle, get out of the Wisconsin way, Paul Chris, we're going to grind it out, we're going to do this, whatever, we're going to have a full back, right? Like, there is like an understanding that they have to modernize to succeed. And I think it's important for Greg Gard that he proves that the formula from Bo Ryan still works in, in Madison. Illinois is such a great example of the reality for most college basketball programs. You know, like Duke has a crappy like year after a bunch of high-level recruits come in. Okay, we'll have another really high-level recruiting class. And there are a couple teams that that fit that bill. But most teams, you know, you hit on a on an era that has guys like Kobe Coburn and Iodesumu, and then you parlay that into a recruiting class that looks like the one you had heading into last season, one with Sky Clark and Jaden Neps and Ty Rogers and and just there's there's all that momentum. And even if the the tournament stuff like you mentioned doesn't look spectacular yet, oh well, you're just kind of in the majority that most people's <laughs> tournaments don't look all that awesome, especially in the Big Ten. And and then you kind of hiccup and then you know you have you know Quincy Garrier comes in but nobody jumps off the page in recruiting really and you look ahead to 2024 and that's kind of the case too that you just kind of have to keep parlaying if you're not Duke Kentucky and Kansas you have to keep turning good eras into good recruiting classes and and hoping that it the ball continues to roll because you can kind of kind of run out of steam if if you're not careful um what are some of the other teams that you're looking at in terms of, you know, we, we talked about kind of those Michigan State and Purdue being at the top of this conference. Um, if there's a team that's going to challenge those two teams and make them at least uncomfortable in terms of whether it's Michigan State kind of sitting in that second spot um, or if things don't, well, don't go well for Purdue, like making them still win 15 games to win the conference, like that kind of thing. Uh, and then just, you know, the conversation about who's the third best team in this conference in general. Um, where do you kind of go in terms of that next, even if there's a substantial gap to tier two, who's who's kind of leading that that second tier of this conference? Yeah, so I think I have Illinois three and Wisconsin five, two teams I just mentioned. I, mm-hmm. I think Iowa, or excuse me, not Iowa, Maryland, next to each other on my depth chart. Maryland is the, <laughs> the team I have fourth uh, that I think really has the higher floor of Illinois and Wisconsin. I don't know that they quite have the ceiling, although they do have some interesting freshmen with Deshaun Harris-Smith and Jamie Kaiser, two guys I love on the circuit. It'll be interesting. I mean, I think Maryland, Maryland should be very good. They're very old. They're talented enough um, with, you know, obviously Harris-Smith being a potential one and done. You have a fifth-year point guard. You have two good bigs. Like, those are things that, like resonate with me. But I also like, I mean, I also think what's so interesting about them is that they didn't really go all in this spring. Like Kevin Willard operated this spring either as though he only had an IL money to pay Jameer Young or that he really wanted to just compliment with role players, right? He didn't want too many cooks in the kitchen. He knew he had enough talent. Now he just needed guys who could play roles, right? So you bring in Chance Stevens from Loyola Marymount as your backup point guard slash shooter, right? Like that's a – he averaged six points a game at Loyola Marymount. Like, like you, you could shoot higher, right? Like Minnesota's backup point guard recruit in the portal was better than Chance Stevens on paper, but Chance Stevens might be a better role player. He's an amazing catch-and-shoot guy. David Cox recruited him at URI. 
things like that, right? They added um, Mady Treor from New Mexico State, who's like a long-term development front court player, right? Like they did not go all in, push the chips in. How do we get another transfer? How do we go? Like even Geronimo from Indiana is just like a glue guy, athletic combo forward, right? I felt like they were going to go for the kill and go get a wing, like like go go recruit a high end portal wing, and see where the chips fall. And I they went a different approach, and I think it could pay off for them because I think they have exactly what they need roster wise, but they're also vulnerable, and that one injury could really uh, really derail things in a hurry. If there's a team that's going to surprise people in a good way or a bad way who do you feel like is being improperly talked about that is either going to catch people by surprise in a good way of overachieving or that you feel like is getting a little bit too much hype and a little bit too much love yeah it's a tough one um i think the thing i would point to the team i would point to here is is michigan and that I think the vibes of the Michigan offseason were substantially worse than like the actual product of the Michigan offseason. Right? Like the sky felt like it was falling, right? You lose Dickinson, you have the two guys go pro, all of a sudden the Caleb Love disaster. But when you like actually take a step back and look, you got one of the better transfers in the portal in Olivier Kamua, a guy who can be one, you know, an all-conference level player in the Big 10. You brought back two really good freshmen turning to sophomores and Doug McDaniel and Terrace Reed, guys who I think have a chance to to develop into all Big Ten level dudes. Um, you know, maybe there's a little bit lacking in terms of like total talent, total depth, unless you're really buying like a Namari Burnett breakthrough or you really like, you know, the freshman that they brought in internationally, Lee Aliyah, I believe is the pronunciation. Apologies if not. Um, you know, like to me, I have them as like a bubble team, but Michigan's one of those teams where like it wouldn't surprise me at all if they just like kind of sneakily wind up in the top twenty-five in like late December, and all of a sudden everybody's like, "Oh my gosh, how did this happen?" It's like they're still talented. Like, like yes, last year was a dis- disappointment, and yes, I think Juwan Howard has some stuff to prove to us right now because the last two seasons, ignoring one good weekend in March, have been really, really bumpy. Right, and we need to see some consistency in the regular season. But I also think that people wrote the obit before they actually looked at the roster. It is one of those rosters. I'm like, oh, okay, oh, okay. I I like that name. I like that name too. It's. I think what's what's hurting the, at least the way that people talk about that program right now is. You're right. You look at the key departures and you look at the the guys coming in and the the names jump off the names jump off the page in terms of the guys that are that are leaving. And I think sometimes we're just kind of we're kind of susceptible to that. That it's like, oh, it doesn't matter what you brought in, you lost Hunter Dickinson. I'm kind it's of the, not right. it's not a math problem, right? Like I th- right. And, and I think that's the initial thing that everyone tries to do is like like and I and I remember doing this when I was first starting like it's like Oh well, they lost more than they gained, so mm-hmm. you know, it's it's automatically they're going to be worse. Whatever, it's like we you gotta really try to just evaluate what's in front of you, right? Like, yes, there's going to be a little bit of anchoring because of like here's what you did last year with what you had, but Michigan has enough. Like this team is not untalented, 
Do you, we've discussed this possibility that, especially the way things went the past couple seasons, there might even be some value in just not having to build your team around Hunter Dickinson anymore for whatever reason. Obviously, he's a great player, but it just wasn't working these past couple years. He was terrific that first year in particular, and the, and the team gelled really well. But do, we've sort of tossed that idea around that it might be nice for Juwan Howard to just kind of have a blank slate and to sort of hit the reset button. Do you think there's any validity to that, especially when you have an Olivier Kamwa coming in that you know is able to not produce at the same level, but put up numbers and really impact games at the high major level for a top 25, top 15 program? Yeah, I think the relationship would run its course, right? Yeah. And it's, it, it's good for Michigan to move on. I think it would have been awkward to try to rebuild around Hunter this spring. Right, like, can you imagine if this team was Caleb Love and Hunter Dickinson? <laughs> the sheer chaos it would have produced. Um, you know, like, I, 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 I think it would have been really hard for them to approach this year with with Hunter. So, I, I, I do agree with that assessment. Like, I think Hunter took a lot of blame because he's so vocal and so out there for things that weren't his fault. Right, it's not Hunter Dickinson's fault that Jet Howard didn't like boxing out. It's not Hunter Dickinson's fault that they largely didn't have a point guard for two years, right? Like that's on Juwan, that's on injuries, that's on luck, whatever. Like, so I, I think, I think they could have built a team around Hunter that would have been very successful. But I also think it's not the worst thing to just start with a clean slate. Start with, hey, we we think we have a center in Terrace Reed. We think we have a really good power forward in Kamwa, and we think we found the point guard. Right? I mean. That has been a revolving door position since Xavier Simpson. Uh, and Mike Smith was better than everyone expected. Devontae Jones was probably a little worse. And then Llewellyn was an incomplete. And they fin- because of that incomplete, they finally got Doug involved. And I thought he played well. He played well enough to, to give him a chance to win. They were a good team down the stretch last year. And Doug was a big part of that. So to me, like, I, I like the fact that maybe we have point guard, maybe we have a five, maybe we have a four, right? If you if you have those three positions in good shape, they have enough rolls of the dice on the wings that I think they'll be okay. And I think that's a big deal. Speaking of programs that were built around one guy and that guy is no longer there anymore, I think for me, at least one of the more interesting off seasons in, at least in terms of, okay, this team has momentum. This team brought in guys that look like they could help continue the momentum, but I'm still not totally sure, and that's Indiana. Just because of, I mean, I, I, I seriously don't think that anybody truly understands what it'll be like to play basketball at Indiana without Trace Jackson Davis on the floor. It's just been the thing that you don't have to worry about at all at Indiana the last you know four or five i think it was just four that he was actually there could have been five i don't know they could have been seven he could have been there for a decade um but the point being is right you when you look at what went out the door it's striking it's guys like trace jackson davis it's jalen hutchifino race thompson and miller cop were two just they were two big 10 basketball players that were that were you know not not super sexy and you know highlight real machines but just guys that you could that you could count on all of those guys are gone but you know you have a backcourt that starts with Xavier Johnson you you mentioned Kello where a little bit Malik Renu seems to be 
kind of like a okay, like this guy could be something that we're just all staring at that we don't realize quite how good he is because he kind of fills that same role that Trace Jackson Davis did. Um, and then there are, there are freshmen that are are substantial. Um, maybe it's as simple as did we did we do enough at Indiana this offseason to make up for, you know, we just talked about the math problem, <laughs> but did we do enough this offseason for Indiana and Mike Woodson to be able to kind of keep the train rolling? There's still more that they can achieve, but we've kind of dug ourselves out of the Archie Miller days at Indiana. Do we think we see another step forward for Indiana this year, or is it kind of a we have to reestablish our footing after losing a guy like TJD? Yeah, it, it, it's kind of an awkward year in that, you know, I, I think in general, losing what they lost, as long as you came back and were like a clear tournament team, maybe even like on the heels of the top 25, you'd call that a success. But the way they built this roster with a fifth year point guard with a potential NBA wing in, in Baco and a potential NBA five and where it does feel kind of like burn the boats this year, we got to win with this group. And then again, the hope is that they'll have some big name recruits with you know Boogie Fland and Liam McNeely to come in 2024, but that's not done mm-hmm. yet. They have to get that over the finish line. It's a long way to go. Um, so there is this like weird sense of urgency for a team that on paper wouldn't necessarily need it in like mm-hmm. the kind of life cycle of recruiting, if you will. Um, I guess I've been down on Indiana because I'm indiv- I'm individually lower on their four best players than consensus and i was lower on them before most of them chose indiana right sure. i'm lower on xavier johnson than consensus outside of 10 games at the end of the uh 21 22 season he's been pretty average as a college point guard for five years and he's not a great shooter and he's now surrounded with not a lot of shooting mm-hmm. right mckenzie and Baco, i saw play three times in EYBL. He had one amazing game and two really bad ones, right? He's a mid-range jump shooter. He's not necessarily like a true floor spacer. And he's going to have some expectations about how much he has the ball and how many opportunities he gets to go shoot the basketball a game, right? And that's an issue with freshmen, right? You have Renew, who is everybody's favorite breakout star. <laughs> and I, I think Malik Renew is pretty average like i think he's really gifted but i also watch how he processes the game and this is something that came up with multiple big 10 coaches when i talked to them this offseason like malik renew does not think the game at a high level i remember mm-hmm. this one play burned into my mind indiana purdue at mackey purdue's kind of trying to push to get back in that game the hood shafino 35 point game purdue's got it to like eight crowds on its feet yep. purdue misses a shot or, or, or excuse me indiana misses a shot all the momentum to Purdue. And Malik Renew reaches in and fouls a guy 90 feet from the rim and gives Purdue free kicks. Like, what are you doing? Like, it's just <laughs> plays like that. And maybe the, maybe that's like over salient for what he is. But I think the idea that Malik Renew is going to jump and turn into a star, to me, that's, I'm not there. Sure. And then Khalil Ware, I was down on at Oregon. Like, I, I thought he should just go pro and sit in the G League and figure it out. You know, he has all the talent in the world, but he's another guy that like, his motor stinks. He's never really been consistent, and he doesn't know how to impact the game yet without having the ball in his hands. Mm. When you add that all together, that's why I'm like, all right, this is like a team in the 40s nationally. But 
a team in the 40s nationally like probably feels like a pretty low likelihood outcome for Indiana if this makes sense like Indiana's either going to be really good or they're going to be pretty bad mm-hmm. right like like I think you're right <laughs> I'm going to pick Indiana 7th in the Big 10 I think it's if if I could bet like top 4 or high, like fourth or higher 10th or lower I would bet that over 5 <laughs> to 10 right like this is a, this is either going to be beautiful or it's going to be a disaster um and I'm excited to watch them. Like I think it's going to be legitimately fascinating. And if if Woodson gets the most out of guys like Mbako and Ware, not only will it be a great sign for for this season, but I think it's going to really heat up the recruiting machine for Indiana moving forward. Um, but I don't think it's a guarantee, just because those those guys are so kind of mercurial, and I don't love the role players around them. I, I wish there was more shooting. I wish there was a little bit more proven ball handling outside of Johnson. Really fascinating. I, I, my, my relationship with Indiana is so it's, it's, it's just kind of what you're, what you're describing. I don't, I don't totally understand it. Um, the, the excitement ever, um, they, they kind of keep hitting the same drum over and, and part of that's probably Trace Jackson Davis, just you, that's the guy that has to be involved in everything. Um, but you know, I, it, I get annoyed by programs that operate as like their blue bloods when they're not really blue bloods anymore even though the name on their chest might say that they are it's i i have a very complicated relationship with 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 indiana and i think i think that i think you're right there's there's a lot of there's a lot of different ways that this can go and it feels like them just kind of being fine and not stirring the pot in either one way or the other feels like the most unlikely outcome which i absolutely love which i absolutely yeah, love the, the median um, outcome is not the mode outcome if right you will. Right. Yeah. right right absolutely i've got some math in there well said um last thing before we kind of wrap up here it every single team was aggressively average in the big 10 last year i mean i'm exaggerating a little bit but there was like everybody and their mother had somewhere between nine and 12 conference wins do you think that in this season we could get a little bit more dissection of the conference that there's a clear maybe it's a top four or five that there's a clear top seven and a clear bottom seven um or is this just kind of what the big 10 is now that we are going to have you know, nine, 10 teams have somewhere between nine and 12 wins. Yeah, I think parity will will carry the day yet again, particularly from three to 11 or three to 12, I guess, depending on how you grade out Penn State. I would probably mm-hmm. say more three to 11 than three to 12. I think Penn State probably more fits bottom three. Um, but I do think it's possible. Like, like what happened last year was somewhat to the extreme. And that was you had a lot of teams that just had really kind of mind bending stretches of play, both good and bad, right? Like, like Illinois was a better team than 11 and nine in the big 10 last year, right? Like they start zero and three in the league. Then they go four, then, then they go seven and one in their next uh, eight conference games. And they kind of limp to the finish, right? Like that's, that's abnormal. Ohio state losing 10 straight is abnormal. Northwestern, kind of randomly starting super hot, starting three and one and six and three in the league, winning five straight in February. That's very abnormal. And I say that as a Northwestern alum, right? Like there's just, there was a lot of like 
every time you thought you knew a team, they proved they were something different. I think it will be less of that this year. I think we'll have a little bit more stability kind of week to week. But I still think the end result will be, you know, particularly when you're looking at like an analytical power ranking, right? When you're saying like the number four team in Ken, in the league in Ken Palm and the number 10 team in Ken Palm, I think there's a good chance there's very little divide between those. Um, but I think maybe we get a little bit more traditional of a hierarchy where we're not sitting at like two games separating second and 10th like we did last year. That's the story of the Big Ten, right? Somebody finds or a couple teams find a way to separate themselves, a couple excuse themselves, and the rest of them are kind of either pretty safely in the tournament to bubble teams, and yeah, there's just not a lot between them. And it certainly looks like we're going to get that again. Kevin, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. We really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me. Thanks so much, Kevin, for taking the time to hop on the podcast for the second straight year and talk Big Ten hoops ahead of the season. Josh, this is a intriguing conference per usual and the nature of the top of it, uh, especially Purdue and kind of the situation they find themselves in. It's all very interesting uh, ahead of this season. Yeah, and I was very intrigued by the point Kevin made about the fact that the Big Ten might be set up because it's so guard heavy and is kind of an atypical version of this conference outside of Zach Eady, that maybe this is the year the Big Ten silences some of the March criticism. The other interesting part of that is when you're talking about a player like a Jameer Young, for example, who is absolutely the kind of guy that can go win a game or two for Maryland in the tournament, right, get to a Sweet 16, those aren't necessarily the title contenders. Purdue's backcourt got all kinds of criticism last season. And so those two things of can you have a national title contender is one question. And then also, can the conference as a whole just perform better in March? Because I feel like we always come away disappointed in the Big Ten, teams losing earlier than they should. And you and I are both big believers in the the guard theory, if you want to call it that. And I think it's a, it's a valid point Kevin made that theoretically the Big Ten is set up to succeed in that sense. Whether that happens or not, we'll have to wait to find out. Indeed. It's definitely not a conference that from top to bottom runs through the big man the way that it usually does. Mm-hmm. With that being said, the best team in the conference with the best player in college basketball could not be larger. Yeah, so we'll see what that actually means you know, when we get to March. Josh, you got anything else? Appreciate everybody checking out the YouTube channel. It is continuing to grow. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. That's all I got. I've heard it's free. I checked. How about that? It's free. It's, I've checked. It's free. It's great. And we'd appreciate it if you hit that subscribe button when you uh, catch the podcast on YouTube. That's all I got for you. Please subscribe to the Jays for Days podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Jays for Days Pod. And like I said, check out and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. And we will see you later.